Be seated. You know, it is the season. Tis the season. In, in, in fact, um, the other day I cracked up. JD and I were in the car and we heard this this commercial. And it started out with this beautiful Christmas carol. I think it was Oh Come All You Faithful, or I can't remember exactly which Christmas carol it was. And then it just broke off and the lady started talking about the sale on steaks that they had that week. And I thought, that's just so weird. And it's great and it's sad. You know, it's great because everybody's hearing about the Savior. He's hearing, they're hearing about the, the Savior that we've been singing about all morning. And yet there's confusion and yet it's relegated kind of to a nice little fairy tale or myth or something that we just talk about at Christmas. And so um, it is the season, and I pray that as, as believers in Christ, as followers of him, that we'll take every opportunity to show other people around him, to show, show, him, show those people around us Christ. Amen? Amen. How many of you are shakers? You can't, you can't stand it. You go by the Christmas tree, you see your name on a gift, and you pick it up and you're like, or even worse, some of you out there, I know you, I know you, you're, you're worse than your shakers. You are peekers, right? You like carefully try to open it and uh, peek in, see what it is, and then tape it all back up before anybody sees you, right? And get it back under the tree before anybody sees And, and why is it? Why is it that we can't stand it? We, we just have to shake the gift. We have to peek in. It's because we can't stand to wait, can we? I hate waiting. I, I personally, uh, it, it's one of the worst things I, I pray. Y'all pray for me because um, I hate to wait. I'm very impatient. If you ever drive with me, you know I'm a fast driver. Lord, forgive me on that one too. But I hate to wait. And do you remember what it was like to wait when you were a little kid? It was awful. You just felt like, like this time of year, like Christmas would never, ever, ever get here. Now that I'm getting older, I'm like, wasn't it just Christmas, like last week? But, but as a kid, it just seemed like you're waiting forever and ever. I remember when, when my son, he's 18 now, but when he was a preschooler, when J.D. was a preschooler, he wanted to go to Disney World so bad. And, and all of his friends had gone and were talking about it at preschool, and he, he just wanted to go to Disney World. And... We always told him, because we didn't want to be those parents. We, we told him, you can go when you're older. Because we did not want to be those parents that were, at Di- you know the ones, at Disney World that are like, you stop crying and have fun or, you were, or we're going back home, right? You know, the ones that are slapping their kids all the way through the park. So we did not want to be that parent. And so we, we kept telling J.D., when you're older, when you're older, you can go to Disney. When you're older. And so he'd come up to us and he'd say, am I older now? Am I older now? Well, it was the fall before J.D.'s fifth birthday. And Stacy's parents offered to take us to Disney. And so Stacy and I decided he was old. <laughs> and so we uh we decided to take the trip but we wanted to make it a surprise so we didn't tell him a word about it and we took the trip to orlando drove all the way down there and we didn't even check in the hotel we went to the park first and and the the music is a small world you know it's all playing over overhead and mickey and minnie are everywhere and everything like that we take him through the front gate and stacy leans down and by the way my son's eyes were this big when when he was little and and his eyes are just huge and Stacy's like do you know where you are and 
Is it Disney World? JD's sharp. He's always been a sharp kid. So, uh, yeah, so that was his celebration dance right there. And then I got to show you a few pictures too, right? So, yeah, we had a great time. But he had to wait, right? He had to wait, and he could not believe it. He was finally there once it was here. We don't like to wait. There's nothing fun about it. At this time of year, God provides us with many opportunities to exercise that that uh, gift of the spirit patience right and we have to wait in lines at the stores we have to wait in traffic we have to wait on that family that is late to every single family gathering right we have to wait and wait and wait and wait well for the last two weeks we've been talking about mary and her faith adventure and as she humbly submitted to god's will well we've been reminded that that as she said yes to god she was taken into some uncomfortable places Last week, we saw that Mary and Joseph had to take an, uh, an unexpected trip, a 70-mile journey walking from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And now we find them waiting. They're waiting for the baby to come. They're waiting to find out exactly what the angel meant when he says, your baby will be great and will be the son of the Most High. Now, moms, <laughs> I know... And I can never understand this from a personal point of view, but I cannot imagine how anxious a person becomes, a mom becomes, as she's expecting, right? I mean, taking care of that baby inside. Well, can you imagine how anxious Mary must have been as, as she knew that, oh, yeah, the baby inside of you will reign over Jacob's throne forever and ever I'm imagining she did not miss her prenatal vitamins, right? <laughs> she, she took care of that baby. Well, the ancient Israelites, we actually sang about this just a few minutes ago. The people of God in the Old Testament knew a thing or two about waiting. Their history was full of it. You know the story about when they were slaves and they had to wait over 200 years for God to provide a deliverer, to provide Moses, to, to help them to escape slavery. And then right after that, they had to wait some more. They had to wait for 40 years before God showed them the promised land. And then they end up, because of internal strife, they end up split into two kingdoms. And then two different other kingdoms conquer them, Assyria and Babylon. And we find them waiting again for somebody to deliver them, waiting again for someone to come in and set them free. They were waiting on the arrival or the Advent, as we learned a couple of weeks ago, of someone to deliver them from foreign oppression, a Messiah. Valerie and Paul sang about this last week. They sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here, here until the Son of God appear. The word Messiah is actually a transliteration of a Hebrew word called Mashiach. And it's actually a word that simply just means anointed one. In the Old Testament, there were three types of people that were anointed. We find this throughout the Old Testament. The first type that we see is that God had kings to be anointed. We see David being anointed by Samuel in 1 Samuel 16. And then we see priests being anointed. Priests were those that represented the people to God. And Aaron's, Aaron's brother, uh, Moses' brother Aaron was the first priest, and we see him being anointed in Exodus 28. And then lastly, prophets were anointed. We see the prophet Elijah anointing his successor, Elisha, in 1 Kings. 
And during the time of the kings, this was about a thousand years before Jesus came. During the time of the kings, and, and then right after, during the time of this captivity of Assyria and Babylonia, we see God sending these men called prophets to his people. Now, why did the prophets come? Well, at the last church I served, we, we made friends with this Bible-believing rabbi uh, by the name of Derek Lehman, and he wrote a book called A New Look at the Old Testament. And in it, it talks about the prophets. And I went through it and, and got to see what was it exactly that God sent the prophets to do. Well, first, he sent them to pronounce judgment. He, he sent them to, to tell people, okay, this is the consequences of your sin. You messed up, and here's how you're going to pay for it. And he also came to point out the ways that they were sinning. Here's how you messed up. So the first thing that, that, that prophets would do is they would pronounce judgment. And then they were also sent to be able to instruct people how to obey the law, how to avoid judgment. This is the way you should follow God. And so the prophets would tell people in a very practical way, this is what God wants from you. And then to this nation that had been divided and had been conquered and now was dispersed all over the place, the prophets were sent to give future hope. Future hope about the restoration of Jerusalem, the restoration of Judah and of Israel, and then the possibility of an anointed one, a Messiah, to come and rescue them. Now, you're going to recognize a lot of these uh, prophets' names, right? Because you know people that are named after them. Elijah, Jeremiah, you know people named that, Joel, Micah. And then, of course, we all have people in our lives named Haggai and Habakkuk, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, one particular prophet that jumps out at me is one that I learned about when I was a little kid. It's a great story, and that is about Daniel. You remember the story of Daniel? And, of course, the first story we think about is Daniel in the lion's den. That's right. Now, I want to talk about, though, how did he end up there? Because we skipped to that part. Let, let's, let's go back just a little bit and see how did he end up in the lion's den. Daniel 1.1 gives us a clue. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So this is that captivity. This is that that, uh, that I was talking about earlier. The writer then goes on to describe how that Jerusalem's youngest and finest men were then taken captive and taken to Babylonia to serve the king. And verse 6 tells us, Among those who were chosen, yeah, chosen, I like that word, <laughs> were some, of, some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Does anybody know those, uh, the other names of those three uh, other guys? Bible scholars in here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's right. Well, here we meet Daniel. <clears throat> and like Mary, Daniel was just a teenager. He was young. He, had, he probably came from a privileged household. He was handsome. He was a man of privilege. His, his existence and no doubt was, was an easy one. And then, boom, it all changes in just a moment. Can you imagine it? The college frat boy ends up a slave in a foreign land. His world is turned upside down. And for many in Daniel's time, the easiest thing to do in, in captivity would have been just to go with the flow, to, to placate this benevolent dictator. You see, as far as captivities go... The Babylonian t captivity was, was an easy one because 
the Babylonian king wouldn't, wouldn't kill people and capture, the, uh, capture them and kill them. He would capture them so that he could put them in his service. But, but these young, fine men, he wanted them in his service, so he would feed them. He had plans for Daniel. He wanted to feed him, take care of him, get him really strong uh, so that he could serve him well. But God had other plans for Daniel. And as we read in the book of Daniel, we see that no matter what choice was, was offered to him, Daniel and his friends chose God over convenience, sometimes risking their very lives. And so Daniel spent his entire life in the service of this foreign king of Babylon. In fact, he went through two kings, and now he's in his 80s where we find him now. We're going to fast forward just a little bit. And although he was still held captive in this foreign land, he was still being treated well, and he was still well-respected. In fact, he was well-respected among the royals. Life was about to get crazy yet again. I love how the Bible, you, you can be reading the Old Testament and you just read one sentence and it's like in, in other books it would take like chapters and chapters and chapters, but the Bible just relegates this, this huge turn of events into one sentence. If you look at Daniel 5 verses 30 and 31, you see the craziness that's about to happen. Remember, Daniel's gone through two kings already. That very night, Belshazzar, now the king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over king, the kingdom at age 62. So now not only was Daniel far away from the homeland that he loved as a, a, as a boy, but now as a foreign slave, he's experiencing this turmoil of a government takeover. The Persians had defeated the Babylonians. And thankfully for Daniel in chapter 6, of verses 1 and 2, we see this. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom and three administrators over them, one of whom was who? Daniel. Now you're going, what in the world does this have to do with Christmas? We'll get there. We'll get there. Hold, hold on to your seats, okay? However, Daniel, even though he was in this great new position, things did not necessarily go well for him. In fact, this is where we're going to find out about that earlier story that we all love to tell. You see, jealousy does some pretty crazy things to people, doesn't it? It drives them to do some pretty bad things. And these satraps did not like Daniel, and they did not like his position. And so they set him up, pretty much. They got the pagan king to make this law. It was a 30-day law. No one will pray to anyone except for me. They knew that Daniel loved God. They knew that Daniel was proud of it. They knew that Daniel didn't hide it at all. And so they made this 30-day rule, knowing that Daniel would do what he always did, and that is that he would pray with the doors open three times a day to God. And he kept doing it. He didn't hide a thing. And we know what happened. Subsequently, he was thrown into the lion's den, and then God shut the mouths of the lions, and he was rescued. Now, we can actually read one of the prayers that Daniel prayed. One of these prayer, bold prayers. And it wasn't just prayers uh, that, that said, oh, these Babylonians stink, why don't you come and zap them? No, it was just, it, it, this, this prayer will actually surprise you. It's found in chapter 9 of Daniel. It's a prayer, actually, of repentance for Israel's sins. It's a prayer that admits that the captivity that they were experiencing was actually judgment from God. And it was a prayer for mercy and longing for this Messiah to come and rescue them. Daniel longed for the advent of a Messiah, and so he prays. And then his prayer is interrupted. 
I want you to take a look at this part, Daniel 9, verses 20 and 21. Daniel's telling the story of, of his prayer. Actually, he, he recounts the prayer. And then he says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making the request to the to Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in an earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, I know the Bible can't include everything that happens. Um, and I think what's missing here, what the next verse should be, when I stopped shrieking at the top of my lungs, then the angel Gabriel spoke, right? Because that's what, well, maybe it's just me. Maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you'd be just fine with an angel flying in while you're praying. But I believe that, that, that just like the angel Gabriel told Mary in the New Testament, he probably had to say to Daniel, um, fear not. And then he said what he had to say. It was good news. It was, your prayers have been answered. Now I want to skip down to verse 25 and read part of the prophecy that, that Gabriel gave to Daniel. Now I'm going to warn you ahead of time, hold on to your hats, hold on to your seats, hold on to your neighbor or something. This is going to get a little crazy. It's a little hard. To, uh, admittedly, prophetic language can be hard to understand. And there have been books written on this section of Scripture. People have argued about this section of Scripture for hundreds of years. We're not going to argue this morning. We're just going to go quickly through it. But understand this. Gabriel has news that Daniel wanted to hear. Look at verse 25 of chapter 9 of Daniel. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem... Until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. Seven, 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 seven. Okay, we'll figure that out in a minute. But before we pull that apart, <clears throat> let's state the obvious. Jerusalem would be rebuilt. Daniel's prayers would be answered. And most importantly, God was going to send this anointed one, even though it wouldn't be in Daniel's lifetime. The waiting would come to an end. Now, let's talk about the seven sevens and 62 sevens and all that. We could easily get bogged down here, but for this morning's purposes, we're going to go through very quickly. The Hebrew word for sevens here is shabuim. It's, it's literally like we use the word decade now. What does decade mean? Ten years. Well, Shabuim meant seven years. It was the same type of terminology. And so if he said Shabuim, he automatically knew it meant seven years. So, all right, mathematicians, get out your calculator. Oh, Kevin Robinson's not here this morning. I was going to have him do it in his head. Oh, well, I want you to figure out how many years Gabriel's talking about. I'm going to give you a minute. All right? Okay, do it in your head. Remember, Shabuim sevens is seven. Okay. All right, yell it out if you got it. Who? Huh? Close. Keep going. That's part of it. Read the whole thing. 
483, 483, all right, right on the front row. Okay, 483. Now, let, here's how we got here. I promise you, by the way, we're not, we're not going to be that church that has the big charts on the, on the stage. Okay, but just indulge me this morning. All right, 483, is, this is how we got it. All right, J.D., show them. 7 times 7, 49. 7 times 62, 434. 49 plus 434 is 483. Now, why? Why the 483? Well, there would be a proclamation sometime during Daniel's lifetime. And then 483 years later, we would see the anointed one. I read this in, in, in uh, a scholar's book, Herbert Lockyer is his name. The Messiah had to come 483 years after a specific date given in Daniel's time, a prophecy given by the prophet almost 500 years before Jesus came to the temple. And so the angel Gabriel speaks of this anointed one, this coming Messiah. And then we don't hear from him again until about 500 years until he speaks to the scared teenager in Nazareth. And we see in Luke, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said, see, now that's real. <laughs> I'm like, Daniel, you, you left that part out. Greatly troubled. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have, given, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are, call, you are to call him Jesus. He will, be a great, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. More good news from the angel Gabriel. And more waiting. Only this time, not 500 years, right? Only nine months. But a period of waiting. And Gabriel speaks of this Messiah, this anointed one, as a king whose kingdom would never end. And the writer of Hebrews calls this Messiah, this anointed one, a great high priest. And this Messiah, this anointed one, says of himself... The words I say to you are not my own. Rather, they are of the Father who is living in me. He claimed just what the prophets before him claim. An anointed one, a prophet, a priest, and a king was on his way. When Gabriel gave his prediction to Daniel, the world was a troubled place. And then 500 years later, the world of Mary was a troubled place place they were waiting for peace and restoration the the oppressors had different names and different faces but they were still the same the people of god were second-class citizens in a tumultuous world they yearned for a messiah to come and to deliver them from their subjugation and and so we see this when the set time had fully come amen God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. I love the King James, the fullness of time. When it was just the right time, God said, all right, it's time. 
its time. And he was born of a woman. And this birth scene that we see, it's anything but triumphant and joyful. It's actually pitiful and heartbreaking when we read it. When we take it away from the Christmas cards and we just read it as fact, Luke 2, 4 through 7. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, the 70-mile trip to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came, fullness of time, for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. You see, the Jews read the prophecy that's found in Isaiah that says, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And they expected a mighty warrior or a triumphant king to come and influence and, or, or destroy and, and, and take away the oppressors. But I love how the author Philip Yancey writes this. The Messiah who showed up, however, wore a different kind of glory. The glory of humility. The God who roared who could order armies and empires about like pawns in a chessboard, this God emerged in Palestine as a baby who could not speak or eat solid food or control his bladder, who depended on a teenager for shelter, food, and love. And then similarly, Max Lucado writes it this way, the omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. And so if not to conquer, if not to destroy the oppressors, why did this Messiah come? Again, let's look at the words of Gabriel. Only this time it's to... A young man, Joseph, probably pretty confused at this point. Matthew chapter 1, before Jesus is born, the angel Gabriel says to Joseph, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Gabriel lays it out. This is why the Messiah came. In his very name, Jesus, we sang it earlier, Yeshua was the Hebrew name. It meant God saves. He will save the people from, not the oppressors, not the government. He will save the people from their own sins. Luke 4, we see Jesus exploring yet another prophecy. Fast forward to when Jesus was an adult. And he's in, he's in the, the synagogue and he's teaching. Luke 4, verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has what? Anointed me. Are you with me? He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery for sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled the scroll up, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And I love this. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
He was reading from Isaiah. But notice that this passage says the anointed one, the Messiah. The Messiah that Isaiah and Daniel and Mary and all the people were waiting for was now here not to overthrow their government, but as a king who could set the captives free from the prison of their own making. And Jesus was not only the Messiah for the people in in Daniel and Isaiah's time or in Mary's time. He's a Messiah for now. He is is a Messiah for you and he's a Messiah for me. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And he comes to us in our chaotic world, our crazy world. Things haven't changed. But he's coming not as a conquering king to take away all of our problems, to give peace between nations. But he's come to give us peace that passes understanding. He comes not as an inaccessible high priest, but he comes as one who, who is, has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. He comes as a high priest who gave the ultimate sacrifice of himself so that no other sacrifice would ever be needed for sin. And he comes not as a prophet that's coming to condemn But John 3.17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So what, what are you waiting for today? What are you waiting for? You don't have to wait any longer. Messiah has come. He's here. And he's here to set you free from your own captivity. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, There's freedom. He offers mercy and pardon to those who believe and turn to him. And so I ask you, have you placed your full trust in him? Have you asked him to forgive you of the sins that he came to free you from? Have you declared to the world that you want to belong to him by being baptized into him? Well, in just a moment... I'm going to pray. And we're going to have communion like we do every Sunday. There's two tables in the front and there's two in the back. And as, after I pray, as you are ready, you can go to the table that's closest to you and take the, the bread, which is the body, and the cup, which is the blood of Jesus, and celebrate this prophet, this priest, this king, this Messiah, this anointed one who is here for you today. But if, if today the words were kind of foreign to you, or if, if you are just, if, if you are anxious, if you're anxiously waiting in your life and you're, and you're thinking, you know, I don't know what, I'll, what the next day holds and you need to talk to someone, I'll be back there. I'm going to ask Wesley if you'd be back in the back too and Kim, Stacy, Blair. One of us will be back there. We'll just be lined up. And if you, if you want to talk to someone about, about making this Messiah your Messiah, Come, come back, and, and, and we'd be glad to, to talk to you, to pray with you, to listen to you as, as we sing a song. And during the song also, uh, during, the, during this time of communion, if you've come ready to give, if you've come ready to, to share, uh, you can do so in one of the buckets that's found on the table. Let's pray together. Our Father and God, we thank you that 
no matter what's going on here, no matter what the chaos is, no matter what's happening, what's happening in the government, who's oppressing who, that God, you are a God that is above all of that, and you've sent us a Messiah, you've sent us yourself in the form of Jesus as a prophet, a priest, and a king, as a prophet who speaks true words of love and who speaks words of restoration and of forgiveness, as a priest who represents us before you, Father, and who who gave himself as a, the ultimate sacrifice, and as a king who is the king of kings and lord of lords, who invites us to be children of the king, who invites us to be royalty. We thank you, God, that during this chaotic season, we can claim this Messiah as our own. And so as we come to the table, as we come to celebrate that ultimate sacrifice, God, we celebrate the Messiah. We celebrate his gift. We celebrate you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.